Welcome to this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and each week through this forum, I have the opportunity to interview some of the experts that help me develop the content for each week's column. This week, I was struggling with what to write. On Friday, I thought write on his decision on the mercury and air toxins rule. And I was waiting and waiting Friday morning for this decision to come out so that I would know what to write. Unfortunately, the decision didn't come out until Monday. So after uh, the decisions were announced on Friday, which was not the decision I was waiting for, I was in a bit of a funk, a bit of a quandary as to what topic I would address this week. I went outside, worked in my yard, did some household projects, and by mid-afternoon I had concluded what I was going to write. Earlier in the week, thanks to our guest today, Benny Pizer, I had read a couple articles uh, talking about Europe's energy situation. And I had thought about, well, maybe I'll write on that. It's a while since I've done anything on Europe and what's happening there. And so I came back in from working in my yard and did some more research uh, on the situation and came up with my ideas. The day ended, I went to bed, I woke up Saturday morning with clearly on my brain what I was going to do. You know, it's interesting as a writer, sometimes as I do my research, I find a piece that for me I feel like, wow, I hit pay dirt. And this week, that pay dirt came when I found an article written by Carl Pope former executive director of the Sierra Club, and he penned a piece about the Pope's climate encyclical that was published in uh, an, uh, sorry, a publication, uh, Echo Watch, that uh, aligns with that viewpoint, we'll say. And as I read Carl Pope's article in Echo Watch, there was so much in there. I'm like, he's missing. He's missing what's going on in Europe. And uh, so that piece became that pay dirt for me. And I ended up writing the link between climate and poverty, which you can find on Breitbart.com, RedState.com, The American Spectator, and many other websites throughout the Internet. Now, I mentioned that I wrote this due to Dr. Benny Pizer, who is the director of the Global Warming Policy Forum. And he's going to talk to us today and kind of tell us where he gets his information and uh, address a little more thoroughly what's going on in Europe. So, Benny, welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Hello. Good to speak to you. I'm glad to have you joining us all the way from London, correct? That's right. Well, th thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and what? how did I find out about Poland and Greece and England because of your work? Well, we are a nonpartisan think tank based in London, and our main focus is on climate and energy policy. And, of course, our main concern is the impact these policies are having on the economies and on households, on businesses and industry, 
not just in Britain, but uh, in Europe and in general, uh, around the world. We have subscribers from all over the world, uh, a couple of thousand of subscribers, two or three thousand subscribers from the U.S., so we also look at what's happening in the U.S., but obviously um, a big concern is what's happening in Europe, in Britain and in Europe, and we're monitoring very carefully the developments, and we're looking at all the inconvenient uh, uh, news items that most mainstream newspapers or media outlets tend to ignore, and we try to inform policymakers and journalists around the world about developments they might otherwise miss. Yes, and as one of your subscribers, I certainly appreciate the effort that you put in because you do draw, um, as you said, we journalists, you draw our attention uh, to news stories that we would, we would miss otherwise. Yeah, that is part of the work we do. Obviously, we publish our own reports and papers and we issue press releases, so we get involved in the policy-making process as well. But part of our work is to actually provide good and reliable and uh, enlightening information to the key policymakers in Europe, but also in the U.S., and to journalists who are following these debates. I know I use your work uh, frequently and uh, really appreciate it. Do you find that a lot of other writers um, use your work as I do? Yes. Uh, thankfully, there are quite a number of journalists around the world, um, in, in, in America, in Canada, in Australia, uh, in Europe, and, of course, in Britain in particular, sure. um, who are um, subscribed to our newsletter and who get information they would otherwise not get and uh, they do often follow up um, stories or uh, news items that we cover and then turn it into more in-depth analysis. Yes, but when I, when I was looking for, or I'm asking you this in part, because when I was looking for more information on the Greece and Poland stories, uh, when I, I, you know, did a search, did an Internet search on those topics, I found many places that cited uh, literally verbatim what you had sent out in your, uh, do you call your, your daily email, is that, do you call that your newsletter? Okay, that's, so they, they had cited... It's free for people to subscribe, so anyone interested is more than welcome to go to our website and subscribe for free to that newsletter. Well, why don't you go ahead and give that address? Well, the address is simple. It's www.thegwpf.com. Dot .com. GWPF, yeah, as com. in... Global Warming Policy Forum. Forum.com. Okay, good. We'll let you give that again, and I really encourage our listeners to to uh, subscribe. But our only thing is that I might not seem as creative if all my listeners subscribe to your 
back, as I was saying, when I was researching the Greece and Poland stories that you presented in your newsletter, I found many sites where they had just copied verbatim what you had said. I mean, they gave you full credit, but they, but uh, it was difficult to find additional information or anyone else that had really uh, addressed those topics. Uh, so I was I appreciated your your work on that uh, specifically. Yeah, very often these are um, news items or blog posts that are actually quite exclusive. So, uh, for instance, the story about Greece going back to coal because they essentially <laughs> ran out of cash and can't afford to subsidize renewables it was actually from a blog uh, by a solar uh, by, by the solar industry. So it was a, a, a kind of green blog from the solar industry that complained that Greece no longer um, favored renewables or solar energy and was going back to coal. And that was just a story from a, you know, solar industry blog. No one else had written about it, although I thought it was such an important story because what it tells you is that one, the government runs out of money, uh, the renewables are gone. They, they, are, they are not even in a sunny place like Greece, where you have perhaps the most sun of all European countries. No one is going to build any solar panels unless they get paid for it. And that story, I thought, was quite revealing. It revealed that if it comes to the crunch, governments will go for the cheapest option, and they will have to abandon the most expensive options, and that's what's happening in Greece. Yes, I love the line in that, which I, of course, quoted in my column, where they say that the, the solar industry is preparing for the worst. And I've done a lot of work here in the States uh, on solar issues. And as, for example, Louisiana, where I spent a fair amount of time this spring, as the legislature there was looking at cutting back on solar subsidies, the solar industry has been... Um, all over uh, Baton Rouge, the capital of Louisiana, uh, trying to convince legislators to keep the solar subsidies intact. Uh, because, frankly, without the subsidies, the, the industry really falls apart. And as many states are, like Greece, looking at financial difficulties, they just cannot keep these subsidies going. Yeah, indeed, and, and it also uh, shows that this argument that solar panels have become so cheap that right. solar energy is now competitive uh, is a myth, because if solar energy or solar power would even be close to being competitive, then people in Greece would obviously you know, put more solar panels on their roofs because they would save money, but that's not the the, the, the case. No one is making any money, and only through the subsidies they are making money. And of course, the subsidies are being paid by the uh, less well-off people. So it's a transfer from from the poor to the rich, you know, in a in a way. And of course, the irony is that Greece has the uh, most radical left-wing government in Europe, and it is that very government that is now dumping uh, all these uh, renewable energy policies and going back to coal 
the exact opposite to what uh, the Greens and, and the left uh, parties have uh, promoted for the last 20 years. Guys, that's a good point you bring up. Do you happen to know offhand with, uh, you know, that, that post was written a week or so ago. Do you happen to know with the current default status in Greece or near default status in Greece, uh, are they going ahead and building that new coal-fired power plant that that, that post addressed? I don't know uh, whether they are going to build it, but they certainly will have to consider uh, how to heat the homes of Greek households, because in the last few years what happened in winter is that the poor Greeks, who are really destitute, went into the forest and basically cut down the forest to heat their homes. So you know, there, there were huge stories. Uh, over the last two winters, A, because they, you know, decimate uh, the forests by going for the wood, and B, because the air is completely polluted in some of the big cities because of the wood burning. So you have the most dramatic environmental impact as a direct result of these foolish policies. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to follow. We're we're out of time for this segment, but we're going to keep Dr. Pizer with us through the next segment where we'll talk a little more specifically about some of these European policies, Poland and England and Germany. We're talking with Dr. Benny Pizer, the director of the Global Warming Policy Forum, and we'll be back after this quick break. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Today we're talking with Dr. Benny Pizer, Director of the Global Warming Policy Forum. And we're talking specifically about some European energy policies. We were just talking about Greece and how they're returning to coal, going back to coal due to the economic situation and the need for low-priced energy or as low as possible priced energy for the population in Greece. Uh, Benny, before we went to the break, did we cover as much as you want Greece situation? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it's, it's a very telling example of how the wrong policies can destroy an economy and almost bring down a whole civilization. It is really uh, tragic to see how utopian policies, uh, and we're, we're obviously interested in climate and uh, energy policies, but the 
the euro was a similarly utopian policy that was sold uh, as the gift to Greece for a stable economy. This policy has essentially ruined a whole economy, a whole country, and I'm afraid some of the green policies are potentially doing the same to other countries. Yes, and we were, we, I want to talk about that with you in this segment. In my column, I specifically addressed, I just touched on Germany because I wrote extensively about the German situation back in December. Uh, we've talked about Greece. I also wrote about Poland, based on what you had sent out in your newsletter, and then uh, Britain, the U.K., where you're based. Are, are there other other policies that uh, people such as myself and our listeners should be should be following in Europe? Well, of course, every country is affected one way or another by these policy, particularly in Europe, because we have the European Union, and so many of these policies are adopted uh, at the EU level, so uh, European-wide. So yes. all countries are affected, but some are affected much more, and, this, and the impacts are more visible and more hurtful and more painful. And obviously Poland, that's very coal-dependent, uh, is one of those countries. And they've received concessions from the EU previously and are, are looking for uh, more concessions now. Is that correct? Yes. They are extremely concerned about the policies um, after 2020. The European climate and energy policies have been agreed and are legally binding up to 2020. And now the question that uh, pol policymakers and, and political leaders in Europe face is what should they do after 2020? And the big question um, facing them is what are they going to do if the Paris Agreement in December, the, the UN Climate Summit, will not agree a legally binding treaty. And that is a realistic scenario, that there will be an agreement, everyone will sign up to it, the Chinese, the Indians, the Americans, the Europeans, but basically everything will be completely voluntary and non-binding. And the Europeans will then be faced with the prospect of being essentially the only political part of the world which would be signing up to targets that would be legally binding, and the polls are extremely concerned about that. Now, help me understand that a little bit, because, you know, I, for example, I know the G7 a week or two ago came out with this, you know, little rosy scenario at the end of their meeting that they decided that uh, they're going to be uh, – carbon-free by the end of this century. And as I wrote in my column, that's more rhetoric than reality, uh, barring some huge technical transformation. But uh, so I would, I would assume that whatever comes out of Paris is going to be the same thing, more rhetoric than reality. So how is Europe's uh, situation then going to be legally binding? Well, that is the big question, because um, if the Paris Agreement, if the UN Climate Agreement is not legally binding, and it's very unlikely to be because the Chinese and the Indians have already made absolutely clear they don't. And, and the U.S. Congress will never ratify any such thing. Exactly, exactly. 
So then the Europeans will have to decide, well, we've agreed a target for 2030, 40% reduction in CO2 emissions by 2030, but should we now, as the only part of the world, make that target legally binding? And the, 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 the point is that if you have a target that isn't legally binding, then no one will force you to actually do very much about it. It's only really uh, hurting your economy if it is enforceable by law. And so therefore, the Poles and many other Eastern and Central European countries are essentially saying, look, if there's no legally binding agreement, we should not make our target legally binding either. So, I, you know, that's why I'm wondering how, how they're going to pull it off, but I guess that's the question. That's, that's kind of the elephant in the room, is, is we are wondering what they're going to do. Yeah, and the, the, the point is, of course, in the absence of any binding agreements, um, it will be business as usual. We can see that already in Germany, for instance, where the government in Germany wanted to introduce a climate levy on coal-powered plants because they are realizing that they won't even achieve their 2020 targets. So they wanted to introduce this new levy on coal-powered plants yes. in order to somehow uh, uh, bring, bring down a few of the plants or reduce their, their capacity, and there was so much protest from industry and from trade unions that they had to back down, and this levy is now uh, being abandoned. And it just shows you how difficult it is, even for wealthy countries like Germany, to actually introduce policies that are extremely unpopular and extremely dangerous for any economy. You know, um, this is, I, I, maybe I shouldn't, I'm looking at the clock here, I probably don't have time to go this direction, but I, I personally love the story of capacity payments in Germany. <laughs> yeah, well, that is one of the unintended consequences of a country adopting too much renewable energy. What it means is that uh, renewable energy in Germany is, uh, prioritized, so it gets priority when it goes into the national grid. That means that uh, the conventional power plants no longer, most of them no longer run efficiently. They are only really used as, or many are only used as backup uh, for those periods of time where there is not enough energy, but in times where there is a lot of wind or a lot of sun, they will reduce their capacity. Now, many of these power plants are now unprofitable, so they run at a loss. And um, obviously, uh, companies are closing them down, uh, but they are still required for backup. So the government now is forced to pay them this capacity mechanism just to stand by for those periods uh, where they are needed. So not only does Germany subsidize the renewable energy, but they now have to subsidize a lot of conventional gas and coal power plants too.
God, I, I just I just find that story fascinating. We've only got a few minutes left, and I want to make sure we touch on on the UK, what what y'all are doing in Britain, because with your new um, government, not your new prime minister, but your newly elected reelected prime minister and the new government, you're seeing a lot of changes already. Well, that was the hope that the new government would be a little bit more realistic on energy and climate policy. Um, it remains to be seen whether that is the case. Um, th there was a big hope uh, that huge shale deposits uh, that are um, underneath uh, Britain can be um, exploited and that there could be a shale revolution in Britain. But uh, yesterday, the local council in the northwest of England uh, refused the application uh, for fracking, which is a huge setback. And so it remains to be seen whether the government will get its act together. Um, there is, of course, a political price to be paid in that if Britain does not um, go for shale gas, energy prices are likely to uh, continue to rise in the near future, which will be extremely unpopular and will uh, be also um, a big detriment to the new government. So there is a big challenge for this government, and we'll have to wait and see whether a conservative government, which is now a majority government with a small majority, will be able to introduce more realistic policies or not. Yeah, but they have already cut the subsidies to onshore wind, so that's at least some encouragement. Well, yes, in a way, that is a step in the right direction. On the other hand, um, the level of subsidies is not affected. It's just being shifted from onshore wind farms to offshore wind farms, which, as you know, are almost twice as expensive. So the level of subsidies... Uh, remains the same. It's just there are no voters uh, out in on the sea. Right, so right. It's the unpopularity of of the wind farms onshore that has uh, now the subsidies have been uh, abandoned. That is right, and that is certainly a step in the right direction. You know, sometimes in this fight, I kind of feel like we have to celebrate every little victory we get, like the EPA's decision. Um, or the, the Supreme Court's decision in the states this week about the EPA's mercury and air toxins regulations. You know, it's it's not a total win, as we're going to talk about uh, later on in the show, but you have to celebrate the wins when you get them, I think. Yeah, I was really surprised to hear uh, that apparently the EPA didn't do a proper cost-benefit analysis. In other words, they didn't actually calculate the economic cost and benefits of their policies, which seems to me quite unbelievable because you would expect a government agency to actually assess the economic impact of their policies and whether their policies uh, have a bigger cost or a bigger benefit. So, yeah, I think that is very good news because at the end of the day, it's exactly about the economic costs and benefits of climate and energy policy we are concerned about. It's not a matter of principle. It's a matter of economic scrutiny and rationalism 
that you don't go for policies that are much more costly than the benefits you get out of them. You want the best policies and the most cost-effective policies, and that's what a rational government should always try to do. Well, and that's why I'm encouraged by uh, the stories that you send out, the, the Greece story, the Poland story, the England story, the Germany story, because they're having to move towards more rational policy. And I believe this EPA decision, which we're going to talk about in a bit, uh, is representative of that. We've been talking with Dr. Benny Pizer, Director of the Global Warming Policy Foundation, talking specifically about uh, energy policy in Europe. And Benny, before I let you go, would you once again give our listeners your, your website so they can sign up to get your newsletter as well? Well, the, the name is Global Warming Policy Forum, and the website address is uh, www dot the gwpf dot com the gwpf dot com and uh, anyone interested is uh, free to subscribe free our newsletter and anyone welcome to do so great thank you for your time today we'll be back in just a few moments this is America's webradio.com the best in chat radio designed just for you Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're doing something a little bit different. We're having two different topics. In our first half hour, we talked about my column dealing with energy issues in Europe. And now we're moving to the EPA's decision that came out on Monday. I mean, excuse me, not the EPA's decision, the Supreme Court's decision regarding the EPA and what impact that might have on future uh, regulations, rules, legislation, just what the impact is going to be. But the big thing people are looking at is the impact that this uh, decision from the Supreme Court is going to have on the uh, clean power plan when the final rule is expected to be released this summer. And so with, with that in mind, I reached out to my go-to guy on the clean power plan, Terry Jarrett. And Terry is an attorney and a consultant in private practice. He has many clients in the energy sector, and he's also a former public service commissioner. So, Terry, thanks for joining me again today on America's Voice for Energy. Thank you. Glad to be with you this morning. Thank you. So, you know, this was a big decision. As I said in the beginning of my show a half hour ago, that I had been waiting for this decision and thought I was going to write my column this weekend, this past weekend, on the EPA's decision, but it didn't come out on Friday. So I couldn't write on that, um, and, you know, and, and so I watched and waited on Monday and was pleased with the decision that the Supreme Court came up with, but yet as I dug deeper into the ramifications of this, it, it doesn't look like it was really such a, a win. Can you uh, explain for our listeners what, what the decision was and why this is important? Sure. It is an important decision uh, because uh, the EPA has always taken the position uh, in their rulemakings that they do not have to consider the costs of compliance, that their job is simply to figure out what sort of environmental result uh, that should happen and that cost is entirely irrelevant to their 
calculations. Uh, what the Supreme Court has said is no. The law requires you to consider the costs of compliance and balance the benefits versus the costs as you uh, determine what the rules should be. So it is a it is a an important slap down from the Supreme Court on the authority of the EPA to basically follow uh, the law. Now I've had, I've I've heard different things on television as I've watched. Uh, the pundits talk about this, and one in particular, I heard Judge Napolitano say. Although I've been, I have not been able to find this when I've searched the internet. I heard him on Fox News say, "This means now that in all future regulations, they must consider cost." Do you agree with that? Uh, for the most part, I do. Yes, uh, there are certain certain minor areas in the EPA's uh, laws where they might not have to consider cost, but certainly uh, for the Clean Power Plan, uh, which is uh, falls under Section 111D of, uh, of the law, the Clean Air Act, uh, the EPA must consider costs as well as other environmental and energy impacts as part of the process to establish an emission guideline or standard. So clearly it does apply to the major uh, environmental regulations like the Clean Power Plan. Well, that's, that's a relief. Do you think that that's going to delay uh, the release of this final rule that's expected really almost any day now of the Clean Power Plan, or do you think they'll have to go back uh, and really rework their, what they've been planning on and go back to public comment? What do you think there? Well, I don't know what the EPA is going to do, but I do know what they should do. They should go back and, and relook at uh, this because uh, they did do some cost analysis as far as uh, you know these building blocks that they uh, that they are using in their plan, and uh, they're they're way off on their calculations. They're way off on their assumptions. You think? And, and, the and, EPA would yeah, do that? I know that's a shock. I know that's a I shock. I know. I'm startled. I'm startled. Uh, but, yes, they, they should take this back and reconsider it based on the fact that they do need to consider the costs and the impacts, uh, you know, in relation to the benefits or, or alleged benefits anyway. So um, will that cause a delay? It should cause a delay, yes. Uh, and they, and I, my belief is that they should take uh, further comments. Uh, from the public on uh, what costs to consider, because they really did not take that into account uh, during the during the prior comment periods. Yes, I was at one of those comment periods last August in Atlanta and uh, gave comments uh, to the EPA. And I have to tell you, it, it feels like it, it's a total waste of time. It feels like it's strictly a dog and pony show and uh, th that, you know, they're just going through the motions and you have the sense they've made their decision long before they take public comment. That is exactly right, Marita. You know, from day one, uh, it has uh, it has had a feel of that, that they knew exactly what they were going to do. They were going to go through the formalities of pretending to, uh, you know, follow all the guidelines and the comments and, and all of that. But, uh, yeah, it just had the feel of this was a done deal for them, and no matter what, they are going to push forward with their agenda. 
Yeah, it's, so it's going to be interesting to see. So do you, you do you believe overall the Supreme Court decision, in fact, you know, can you just elaborate a little bit on what the Supreme Court decision was, and then do you feel like overall that's a win? Uh, yes, overall it's a win, but it, it is a limited win nonetheless. Uh, basically, the, uh, the EPA ruling was on uh, – regulations called MATS, which dealt with uh, mercury pollution and other pollutants. Uh, those rules, uh, utilities and, and power producers uh, have been spending billions of dollars already to uh, retrofit coal plants and natural gas plants to take out those toxins. So most of the plants that were subject to these uh, MATS regulations have already complied, and they already have these environmental uh, controls in place to comply with the rule. And so, so that's, why it's only, that's, that's why it's only a limited win. Right, and, but the fact there are several coal plants that would have had to retire because, for whatever reason, they couldn't comply with the MATS rules. Uh, this ruling will allow them to stay open maybe for a few years more, which, which is great for reliability of the grid and cost because these plants can be available in the wintertime to run during the peak periods. Whereas otherwise, if the Supreme Court would have not ruled the way that it did, the rule would have become final, and those plants would have closed within the next year. So at least for a few years, we do have a reprieve on some of these coal plants that would have been shut down. So do you feel that the biggest win, though, is on the future regulations, such as the Clean Power Plan, that, that this says that they now have, they do have to, it, it, you know, it applies across the board um, and says they do have to consider costs? Yes, I believe so. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of problems with this rule, as you well know. Uh, yes. This is just yet another one on top of uh, a number of other problems uh, with this plan. And, of course, uh, there's going to be lots of litigation over the uh, power plan when they do finally issue their, their final rule. So that's, that's a, yet another argument uh, against this plan. It's just, it's just problem heaped upon problem. Now, in my little bonus column that I wrote this week, that at the time that you and I are talking, the time we're recording this has not yet uh, been published, but by the time people are listening to this, it uh, should be published, although it doesn't have a title yet, so I can't even tell people what to look for, but uh, you might Google my name, Marita Noon, SCOTUS, and EPA, and you'll probably come up with it, but it doesn't have a title yet, so I can't tell people what to search for, but I talk about some of the legislation, you know, just to Scalia a year ago, last June, in his decision on, and I don't remember the name of the rule, but you'll know, Terry, he said, he implied there was one line in there that people like me have clung to, one line in his decision, which is, Congress needs to deal with this. This needs to be dealt with legislatively. And we're seeing that now. We've got uh, one, a uh, bill that has passed through the House and one that's proposed in the Senate, and we've also got Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell encouraging governors uh, to opt out, to not submit a state plan. Where do you stand on these issues? Yes, well, I, I, uh, I, I am very uh, pleased 
uh, that that Congress is sort of stepping into the breach here, as you said, and uh, and passing legislation, considering legislation. Uh, I know uh, you know the bipartisan Rape Prayer Protection Act passed the House on June 24th. Uh, and that allows states to delay compliance with the uh, with the clean power plan until all the legal challenges have been exhausted. And then in the Senate, uh, there is a bill called ARENA, the Affordable Reliable Energy Act uh, Now Act, which again gives states uh, the authority to basically say no to a compliance plan if it's determined by the state that it will harm the state's economy. So these are all good, uh, good ideas. Uh, of course, we still have a president that would be uh, against any of this legislation. Right, he'd veto them. Yes, exactly. But both bills in the House and Senate have bipartisan support. Do you think there's any chance of getting a veto-proof majority on these bills? Uh, I suppose it's possible, yes. I, <laughs> we can always hope. Yeah. Uh, you know, a two-thirds majority is a pretty pretty high bar. But as you say, there is wide bipartisan support. I mean, these are common sense pieces of legislation. This isn't uh, this isn't anything that that falls outside the spectrum of unreasonableness. So, this is this is something that that just makes sense. And uh, you know, anybody looking at this will say. You know, we've got to put the brakes on this and consider all of these consequences before just rushing headlong into shutting down reliable and affordable energy produced from coal plants. It's just crazy. Yeah, and killing a whole segment of, uh, of the economy as well. It's it, the jobs that have been lost and the, the, the wreckage that has been caused by these regulations that the EPA just keeps sh- – throwing out and throwing out. I mean, it's it's crazy trying to follow these things. That's exactly right. They just keep coming and coming. I think uh, I read somewhere that this administration has promulgated more pages of regulations uh, than any uh, administration in history. So it's just, it's, uh, it just never stops. Yeah. Yeah, we've got about 40 seconds left, Carrie. What, what closing comments do you want to leave with our listeners on this uh, Supreme Court decision and the upcoming clean power plan. Well, again, I think the the, uh, EPA should go back and revisit their rule, uh, open it back up for comment period on the the costs and the consequences of this plan. It should be delayed. And, uh, you know, people should uh, let their elected officials know that, hey, this thing needs to be delayed. Yeah, and support these the, the, the bills in the House and the Senate. Of course, the one's already passed the House. Right, yes. Both of those bills are very good and should be supported. Good. Well, I think it's, I think it's a good win, and I appreciate your perspective on it, Terry Jarrett. Uh, thanks for joining us once again on America's Voice for Energy. We'll be back in just a moment. Perfect. All right, perfect. We're yeah, right perfect. on the money. Well, and I'm encouraged that you're, po- that you're positive about it. Yep. Yep. I think this, uh, like I said, at least it's one more legal argument uh, on top of many, many good legal arguments against this rule. So, Yeah, as I have in my column, the quote from the AEP guy, that it's a foundation for litigation. Exactly. And there's a lot of good lawyers that I know that say this rule really has some legal, legal problems, legitimate legal problems. So I'm... I'm not confident the EPA will do anything, but uh, 
but certainly maybe the courts will. Good. We hope. All right. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I hope so. I, I mean, I think they'll basic based on this, they'll they'll kill it if it gets to the Supreme Court. But as as you know, as, as I stated in my column, it's already been kicked out of court, lower court, because we don't have a final rule yet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this is probably as close as the Supreme Court could come to ruling on it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, they they sort of telegraphed. I mean, what they're gonna, you know, what they would do. So if the EPA doesn't get the message, of course they may not get the message. They may just keep going as they're going. Yeah, because as I say in my column, they, you know, that that's the point I see that nobody's really talking about, is that, um, you know, they could just keep throwing this stuff out there, and by the time it gets through the courts, it's already done. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, that, and that's you know that's the problem. Uh, you know, you might throw something in in your article about that. Is that you know utilities have to plan. It takes it takes a long time to plan. You know, if you're going to build a new generator or build new transmission lines or do anything like that, it takes it takes years to plan. So. Uh, you get those plans down the road in two or three years. You can't just turn them off because you spent all this money already. Yeah. Um, and you just got to keep going down that road and complete it. So I, that that's probably what the EPA is banking on, is that utilities will get so far down the road before there's a final decision on the legality uh, because, you know, they can't take the chance. It's like with the MATS rules. They can't take the chance that the Supreme Court's going to throw it out. Um, I don't know if there's a chance that uh, a court would stay uh, the operation of the rule until uh, until after all the legal challenges have been uh, been uh, exhausted, but certainly that bill would in the, in the House. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, and uh, we'll see see what happens. At least it's okay. a little bit of encouragement. Okay. Give me a call. Thanks, sir. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to our final segment of America's Voice for Energy. In our last half of today's show, we've been talking about the Supreme Court decision uh, on the EPA, basically what many people see as a smackdown to the EPA, but yet many other people say, you know, it wasn't that great a win. So I'm excited to welcome back to America's Voice for Energy, Bill Bissett, who is the president of the Kentucky Coal Association. And we're going to talk about the decision, the impact on the upcoming regulations and the coal industry in general. So Bill, welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Marita, thanks so much. I appreciate your interest and uh yeah, you know, to me, Monday was a win, but uh, welcome to politics and the law. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I mean, I, there were certainly some win and some not-so-good things, but I certainly see overall it, it, it was certainly the better outcome of the two possibilities. Well, the, the fact that you had Administrator McCarthy on the uh, Bill Maher show on HBO literally saying, you know, oh, I think we're going to win on Monday, but even if we don't, it doesn't matter, I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, the EPA is finding itself more and more on the ropes. What's interesting, and I don't know if you've heard this uh, rumor as well, 
you know, we have contacts within the EPA, and we've heard that they have totally underestimated the huge criticism they've been receiving recently, especially on the proposed greenhouse gas regulations. They, they were absolutely unprepared for, you know, singular states like Wisconsin and Texas and uh, Indiana and others say, look, we're not going to comply with these, but more so just such a public outcry of you people have gone too far you're not obeying the law, and you're not having any respect for the Constitution. And, you know, in this country, that's a very, very unpopular position to be in. Yeah, well, that, no, it's interesting. I hadn't heard that the, that, that rumor. Uh, so you've got sources inside the EPA that are saying, are they, are they pretty shocked by this then? Well, I think they are. I think they thought there would be, you know, the industry, there'd be some gnashing of teeth there. But you've got a lot of issues you know, it's interesting as they try to work at this breakneck pace to complete their legacy. And obviously the Obama administration, now in about, oh, approximately 570 days left of this president, uh, is trying to, you know, rush not, their not legacy. That you're, not that you're counting down. Not to, no, no, no. We, we have a calendar with the red X's and all that, too. But, <laughs> but uh, in, in all seriousness, there's a real concern, and his legacy is going to be two things, health care and changing the way we create electricity in this country. And what he's doing with electricity is interesting because it's bleeding over not just to the coal industry and our coal miners, which affects Kentucky absolutely in our breadbasket sure, as far as the, sure. our economy goes, but you look at the waters of the United States issue. That has a tremendous impact on farmers and our entire agricultural sector. So the problem is it seems like the, the people they're making mad only increases day by day. And the fact you're seeing the Supreme Court saying not only – have you gone too far here? But you're not even looking at the economic considerations of what you're doing, which, as you know, Marita, is something we've been saying for six years with this EPA. Yes, and so the, the, the negative thing about this decision for, for those of us on our side of the, the story is that, we, is that it, it really has no impact on the MAPS rule, which is what the decision is about. But the optimism is about pending regulation. Do you agree? You're, you're absolutely correct. And, and the other issue here is the fact that, you know, the electric utilities, the people that we sell coal to to create electricity, have already made the changes that they have to do, even though this is not past uh, the legal scrutiny, if you will, of the court system. So they've already made a lot of investments and, in some cases, switched to natural gas, in some cases, you know, have, have moved in a different direction than coal, which is incredibly frustrating to us, but we also understand the predicament they're in. They have to not only supply affordable electricity, but they have to keep the lights on it. In many ways, I think that's their main priority. But the good news about Monday that everyone needs to remember is we're getting ready to have a tremendous legal challenge on the proposed greenhouse gas regulations that will soon become, in August, the finalized greenhouse gas regulations. And you have, you have Republicans, you have Democrats, you have people in multiple states waiting to sue the second that happens. And, and that's very exciting to us because, you know, this is a coalition that in some cases has been recruited, but in a lot of cases people are volunteering saying, look, this is wrong, and this is going to hurt not only the economy of this country but the reliability of our electricity, which literally affects every facet of our lives. Yes, I've written on it several times, and uh, I have addressed that. I had Terry Jarrett, I assume you know Terry, on in the last segment talking about the upcoming clean power plan. But I want to touch back, if I may, on something you just said. You said we're expecting the finalized rule in August. And honestly, that's news to me. I knew we we're expecting it in the summer, but I didn't know we had a proposed time frame. Is, uh, are you firm on August? 
Uh, you, you know, the EPA doesn't always tell me everything they're up to, so I can't say that for certain. <laughs> they don't. We were, we, were, we, we were in D.C. last week, and we're hearing from some members of Congress that we're probably looking at August for a final rule. That could obviously shift, and I can tell you this. They are working, but, but that's the punchline here, Marita. They're working quickly to get this final rule out. They're working quickly to get every final rule out right now. I know. It's, it's not, some days I just feel exhausted with all these regulations coming out day after day. I sometimes want to go, why am I even fighting this? Uh, why don't I just you know, get a different job? Because it feels well, so overwhelming. It, it does, but, you know, we're an industry, unfortunately, the coal industry, that doesn't always focus on our wins very much. You know, we go on immediately, much like you do, to the next challenge. We need to look at Monday as an important decision for us. And, yes, our detractors are going to say, oh, it doesn't matter at all, and, oh, it's too late and too bad. That's not true. And the second they react that way, it really builds a lot of confidence. I mean, do you really, really think the Sierra Club's going to come out and go, boy, we really lost that one. That was yeah. awful. They're not, they're not going to do that. So, you know, I take solace in that, and I, I think what's important to remember, you know, the momentum is on our side here. The clock is ticking for them. The more rush they get, the more uh, impatient they get, they're making mistakes, and they're making them legally as well. And, again, you know, Lawrence Tribe said the best. What you're doing with, you know, the so-called clean power plan, or as I would call it, the proposed greenhouse gas regulations, you're shredding the Constitution here. You have no respect for it. Lawrence Tribe does not have a Friends of Pole sticker on his car. He's not, he's not with us, and I'm, I'm sure you've studied him extensively. Bernie. Yes, yes. You know, he's a Harvard scholar. He's made it very clear. And, and that, again, was, you know, EPA did not see that coming until it hit. And guess what? Those Supreme Court justices, guess who they respect and probably in some cases took constitutional law from at Harvard? Lawrence Tribe. So, you know, you've got, you know, that's pretty Exhibit A evidence that they know they're off base. So do you feel that uh, this, new re- this new decision is going to impact every agency and every future regulation? Uh, I don't know if I'd take it that far. In my opinion, you know, the good news, obviously, is, you know, we're seeing the mistakes. We're seeing the legal scrutiny. And, you know, we've been saying this about a lot of these rules all along, that they have not followed the proper procedure and that they've acted, you know, against their own rules. And we're seeing the courts agree with that in time, which is great. But the the scary part of Monday's decision, the, the part that does give me a lot of concern, is the fact that utilities have already given up on coal in some cases. And, you know, if we can't get this legal challenge, you know, over quickly regarding the proposed, you know, the, the finalized greenhouse gas regs or so-called clean power plan, we could have the same thing happening there. Because the utilities are making decisions now, as you know, that yes. are 10, 20, 50 years out. And, and I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't get mad at them over that. They, they have a huge responsibility to provide us electricity. But at the end of the day, they need to recognize that this court, you know, this court decision on Monday is, is, is changing the course of the EPA in the direction of this country. I think it's a big deal. I think you're seeing the same thing in both houses of Congress. You know, the president could threaten to veto things, but he is going to be held more on the record, more and more, as the sand runs out of that, that, sand, that sand dial on him. And, and it, it's, it's, it's decreasing every day. Well, you know, a year ago, and I don't remember offhand the name of the regulation, but I'm sure you do, the Supreme Court handed down a decision that wasn't really on our side, but in the dissent, uh, Justice Scalia, I believe it was Scalia, I mean, excuse me, Justice Scalia said, really, he scolded Congress in his dissent, and he told Congress, you need to pass laws to stop this, and 
that's what uh, I see that this, this, the Congress has finally done, that on June 24th, as I'm sure you know, uh, House passed some, regula- some legislation. The Senate has their own version uh, up. Uh, do you have any hope for that legislation? Uh, we certainly do. And uh, we were actually at a news conference with uh, Congressman Ed Whitfield, who uh, was the primary sponsor and right. chair of the Subcommittee on Energy uh, with that legislation. And we're very confident. I mean, sailed through the House. It'll probably do very well in the Senate under, once again, Kentuckian uh, leader Mitch McConnell. But, again, put this president on record. You know, make his party own these decisions. And, and, you know, and I say this all the time, Marina, you've heard it before. We have Democrats, elected Democrats in Kentucky who are very supportive of us. But on on a congressional level and on a D.C. level, that is not always the case. It's a very different world, God knows, when you get inside that beltway in D.C. So that being said, you know, I, I have great confidence in this, you know, in Congress, in their support of us right now. But I'll tell you, you know, this president's going to be held accountable, and I think it could easily land on whoever the next Democrat nominee for the White House is could wind up inheriting a lot of these decisions he's made. And do they run from them or embrace them? I think that depends on battleground states and who wants to win that office. Yeah, I- I was going to bring up something else here, and I'm sorry. I just lost my train of thought. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I talk too much, Marie. No, no, it's good. I mean, I, this topic is so so important, and we're, we're running out of time here. But I feel like um, this, this decision out of the Supreme Court is going to delay the release of the Clean Power Plan rules, the greenhouse gas regulations, and uh, possibly um, – Terry Jarrett in our last segment talked about he thinks it's going to have to go back to public comment, which would delay it even more. But it sounds like you want it out soon so you can get the legal challenges in place. Well, you know, as a person who's not a lawyer, let me not misspeak here. I want whatever's best for affordable, reliable electricity. Yeah. And if that means, you know, holding on for a while, you know, I'll leave that to uh, the legal minds to, to, you know, decide what's best there. But, but that being said, you know, once they even release the final rule, there's a lot more work that they have to do before it comes to pass. But even that name, final greenhouse gas regulations, right, I think right. it somehow bolsters their supporters at the EPA and at the White House and with the anti-coal activists. And, and that's, that's a concern. So, uh, you know, it's very, I'll tell you this, it's very much in play. They in no way expected this much scrutiny and criticism. The EPA did not. So, again, you know, they're, they're, they're marking those calendar days off, too, Marita, just like I am. And they know that the window's closing, so they've got to move quickly, or, or, it's, or it's just not going to get done. Because, like I said, I've been thinking, well, if we can put this off and then we have to have public comment and then we're going to be in the middle of an election, and I, I'm, like, hoping it can be stalled so long that it never happens. Well, and, and that's been considered, and I think we hear this from our friends in Congress that, Look, the best we can do for the coal for, for coal and for affordable energy right now is slow or stop this administration. They cannot change course. That requires the White House. And I think when you look at that strategy, it makes sense, and you're seeing it come to pass right now. But, um, you know, here's the difference. If the court had ruled in favor of the EPA on Monday, you and I know that the reaction from the Sierra Club and Gina McCarthy and everyone else have been like, See, we told you we're right. Even the Supreme Court agrees with us. So that's what shows, I think, their hypocrisy. I think it shows how scared they are. I think they know that the criticism is getting worse, not better, for what they're trying to do to this country. Yeah, because the the ramifications of their actions are becoming reality. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, well, it, it, we've talked about this. It's already hit in eastern Kentucky here at home. I mean, we've had tremendous layoffs. You know, coal miners are out of work. All their money is tied up in their homes where they've invested, and they can't sell them because the housing prices are so low. It's a, it's a huge economic issue here in Kentucky. Our concern is that issue is going to spread nationwide as we affect how we provide electricity, and that it's going to have far-reaching effects well beyond just the coal mining, coal-using states. Now, we're out of time. I appreciate you taking your time out of your busy day to talk to me. Bill Bissett, president of the Kentucky Coal Association, will watch to see what happens with great optimism. Thank you.